Welcome in to another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios in not-so-sunny San Diego, California. It's a cloudy Monday morning here on March 8th, 2021. Going to talk some UFC 259. That happened this past Saturday. So I figure better what better way to start the week and then talk about some UFC that happened two nights ago. I was hoping to possibly bring this show to you on either Saturday night right after the show or Sunday morning, but I felt like, you know, there was so much going on, so much good shit. I just wanted to be able to marinate in it, kind of be able to think about it a little bit and just come in guns blazing on Monday morning, something for you to enjoy to start your week. So, you know, I think maybe also I'm making excuses because the weekends is also when I actually have time to play some video games. So... No lie, your boy also kind of maybe, even though I wanted to possibly get this show out earlier so it could be more fresh, I had some Pokemon to catch. You know, I'm playing Pokemon, the Pikachu Let's Go, which is like a, a new rehash of the old Pokemon Yellow version on Game Boy. And, you know, that was a game I played back when I was like 10 years old. So it's a nice little trip down Nostalgia Lane, you know, have a Pikachu follow you around. I've got three badges so far. Super stoked. I think my Pokedex is over 30 right now. I got a Wartortle. I got an Ivysaur. I got a Charmeleon. I'm feeling pretty good. So you know i'm trying to balance being a responsible working man a father an amateur podcast host while also being a pokemon trainer and shit maybe even playing some nba 2k here and there but i digress my people let's move on let's talk about the fights there was a lot to talk about so let's start straight off with the main event well, you know what, before we talk talking about the main event, I would just like to highlight, if you listened back to last Friday's show, for the main card, I picked Rakic, I picked Makachev, I picked Sterling, I picked Nunez, and I picked Blachowicz. So, hey, even with the controversial ending in the Bantamweight title fight, and we'll talk about that in the future in a little bit, I feel like I went five for five on my picks. So if, hey, you were just picking winners, the Cali Green Monster probably got you some money. So pat on the back for me for my knowledge and pat on your back for listening to the best fucking show that's being recorded out of a Tesla in San Diego. So, hey, now let's move on to talking about the fights from this past weekend. So the main event, we did get the the upset that I was calling for. Jan Blahovich, the light heavyweight champion, was able to beat Israel Adesanya. Boom! Boom! Sorry, I just had to, like, there was a mosquito on the inside of my car windshield, and I was like, no, fucker, you're not biting me today. So, whew, back on topic. Yeah, dude, Blahovich, he, he, you know, he pulled off unanimous decision. I felt like before the fight, a lot of the promotion, it was almost all Israel Adesanya, and it just seemed like the UFC was putting all its promotion firepower behind Israel. And, you know, pretty similar as a couple months before where it seemed like it was all McGregor. It was all about McGregor's comeback, and if he were going to win, if he would be able to coax Khabib out of retirement. And... You know, it seems like whenever the UFC is putting a lot of money and promotion behind something and wants something to happen, it just seems to kind of blow up in their faces a bit. You know, a lot of people, as I had mentioned in the analysis of this fight and the buildup to the fight, that Israel had 
obviously he has more weapons at his disposal. Like his kickboxing is fluid. He can do so many things. But at the end of the day, it's a lot different when there's a guy that weighs 20 to 25 pounds more than you. There's a reason why there are weight classes. And I feel like Israel Desanya kind of, you know, ran into that, you know, ran into that problem that many great fighters have had before. You know, people that I look back in, you know, the history of the UFC that were kind of hyped going into the title fight, but then realizing that size actually had a difference. You know, I look back at BJ Penn when he went up to challenge George St. Pierre back in 2009. You know, BJ Penn was extremely dominant. But at the end of the day, George St. Pierre's wrestling and size and being able to control from the top ended up being the factor and BJ Penn had really nothing to show for it. And then more recently, Max Holloway, when he went up to challenge for the 155 title, you know, Max Holloway is really dominant, arguably the most, you know, he's the most dominant 145 pounder since Jose Aldo, you know, even though he's not the current champ right now, you know, Volkanovski is, Holloway is a stud and going into that title fight against Poirier I think a lot of people were picking Holloway just because of how good he's looked at 45 but you know that 10 pound weight difference and against a bigger guy you know your punches and kicks just don't have quite as much like pop and you know ability to keep someone you know from second guessing themselves so it's like when you were watching the first three rounds of this fight you know there were good exchanges and I feel like Israel did pretty well like on my scorecards, I gave him rounds one and three. So, you know, going into the fifth round, I, I had it a tied, a tied match going on. So, you know, Israel, I felt like was doing good at, you know, it was like they were just the whole fight was standing. I felt like he was doing good on exchanges. And for Blakovich's credit, he was doing very well on the exchanges as, as well. Like there was a couple of times where he would just like catch Israel with a left hook and it was almost it made you go like, oh, shit, like. You know, Israel can't be taking too many of these because, you know, so for Israel's credit, he definitely has a chin because Blakovich did pop him a couple times where in the past other 205 pounders have gone down. So, you know, Israel's pretty tough. But in the fourth round, that's where Blakovich really started to use his size and really just changed the course of the fight. So in the fourth round, he got a takedown, and he was able to basically keep Israel Adesanya in half guard for the entire time. And then going into the fifth round, you know, the announcers, Joe Rogan and Cormier, were just kept mentioning how tired Blachowicz was. And, they, you know, they're almost making it seem like, okay, Blachowicz is in trouble, and he might have used his gas tank up in the fourth round. But, you know, right in the middle of that round, Blachowicz just nailed another takedown. You know, he used his size. And when it comes to grappling, if you got a size advantage, there's almost nothing you can do against a guy that actually knows what they're doing when they're on top of you. And, you know, Blachowicz just controlled that entire fifth round. Adesanya didn't have anything to really do or to answer back and you know the judges just it was a unanimous decision there was a 40 there was two 49 45 cards and a 49 46 so based off the scorecards it would look like it wasn't that close as a fight but you know to me as i had mentioned i had it going tied into that fifth round but i gave Lakovich a 10-8 round just with how much he controlled it so i had it 48 46 so you know Blakovich another just yet again you know, overlooked 
but dude, this guy's tough as shit. And I think he's, you know, I think you can say he's undisputed at this point, you know, going into this fight, you know, he had won the title, you know, in like, basically it was an vacated title when John Jones left. So he beat Dominic Reyes and, you know, it was considered an upset since most people were picking Dominic Reyes. So I think a lot of people weren't really looking at Blakovich as legit 205 pound champion. I think that's one of the reasons that Adesanya moved up or him and his camp wanted him to move up to 205. I think that they didn't see Blakovich as a threat, but I think that we can now just like move past Blakovich being underrated. This dude is tough. You know, he's got he's got the grappling when he needs to. He's got the power in his hands, and I think he's definitely got the confidence right now. You know, he's a new dad, so he's got definitely extra motivation. You know, I'll be talking about another fighter next where it seems like having a child has definitely increased their motivation and made them more dangerous. So, you know, I think Jan Blakovich, the 205-pound division, has now has a, you know, a legit champion to replace John Jones as he goes up into heavyweight and tries to dominate that division. You know, I try to think, you know, looking at how well Blakovich handled Adesanya, it makes me think what would have happened if John Jones would have gotten a hold of Adesanya. Cause you know, as good as Blakovich looked and as, as as tough as he is, he's still, he's not John Jones. And I mean, I think John Jones would have kicked the shit out of Adesanya. So I think Adesanya is lucky that he didn't talk himself into that fight. It would have been a big seller and he probably would have made a lot of money. But I think that, you know, he would have taken a worse beating than just the a close decision loss that he had against Blachowicz. So, you know, moving forward, Adesanya has, has mentioned that he plans on going back down to the 185-pound division and to rule that with his with his black fist. I think that's what he called it. You know, hope, hopefully I didn't offend anybody by saying that. I'm just trying to quote what Israel Adesanya told Joe Rogan. So, you know, he's going to go down, even though he's already basically cleaned out their division. I know he's mentioned he's interested in fighting Darren Till. You know, Darren Till is the British, you know, kickboxer. And he's had a mixed bag of success over the past couple of years. Adesanya's even mentioned, like, yo, Darren Till, just, like, string together your wins because I want to fight you. So he's definitely had his eyes on Darren Till. So he's definitely going to be paying attention to Darren Till's match against Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori had a big win over Hermanson in his last fight. And Vittori actually has fought Adesanya before in 2018 and it was a split decision. So, you know, he's, he definitely wants another crack at Adesanya. So I think if for Adesanya's next fight, let's look at the winner of, of that fight. And let's say if these guys don't impress or let's say injuries make the winner of that fight, not reasonable or like too far away, you know, we got Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker fighting as well. Even though Adesanya fought both those dudes and starched both of them, I think both Whitaker and Costa have something to prove. So I, you know, I don't. I think that at some point Adesanya is going to have to fight both of those guys. So if one of those guys can beat the other in impressive fashion, I wouldn't mind seeing Adesanya fight one of those guys as well. So you know, at the end of the day, one of the big takeaways from that is you know Blakovich, he's he's you know he's legit two five king. 
up next for him seems like it's going to be Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira is someone that's been around the 205 division now for over a decade, it seems. Before he came into the UFC, people knew him as like Chuck Liddell's training partner. So, you know, he's a tough dude. He's been one of the best 205 pounders in the world, not named, named John Jones or Daniel Cormier over the past decade. So I think a fight between Teixeira and Blachowicz would be it's going to be interesting and you know so that seems like what it's going to be up next and yeah so let's move on to the co-main event it was the women's 145 pound featherweight to fight amanda nunez took her about two minutes to completely run through megan anderson seemed like everything that amanda nunez threw hurt Anderson and for Megan Anderson's credit both my wife and I were commenting is like you know she was pretty tough like she was taking some shots and you could tell she was getting hurt but she was at least trying to fight back and trying to do whatever she could to stop the lioness from just like kicking her ass but there was really nothing you can do Amanda Nunes is just on another level she's ruling the UFC women's divisions with an iron fist both 135 and 145 with this victory I really don't know who they're gonna throw at her you know I think I have on my notes like what's up for a ne- next for Amanda Nunes it's just just another sacrificial lamb really the only people I could see that can kind of stand up to her and give her a legit fight is if they try to book Valentina Shevchenko the 125 champion if they book her for a trilogy fight against Nunes you know because she's lost to Nunes twice but she's at least given Nunes a tough fight in both times so unless they can get Nunes across the cage from her or if they could bring Cyborg back, which I don't think would happen, Nunes is just – I see her as just unbeatable for the near future. In her post-fight interview, she had her new baby daughter. I think this was her first fight since she had her daughter. And she was saying that in the wild, a lioness is more dangerous when she has a cub. So, I mean – and. This was one of her most impressive performances to date. She looked dangerous, and she, you know, this did this did look like one of the most impressive and dangerous Amanda Nunez's that we've ever seen. So, good luck to any woman that's going to step in the cage with her because, you know, she's a Terminator. You know, she's going to destroy, and she's going to do it with a smile on her face. I love listening to her interviews she just seems like a humble just bubbly happy person and i think she's the perfect face for women's mma and it's real you know it's it's like watching tom brady or lebron james or anyone that's impressive or you know talking to mma world like john jones or habib nurbagamenov or george st pierre amanda nunez is greatness every time you watch her in the cage so you know i think she's definitely has reached that box office level of you know of of wanting to see her fight but you you almost have to slot amanda nunez on a card with a competitive fight because she's getting to the point where it's kind of like with what ronda rousey was at her peak where it was like do you order this fight where you know she's gonna win and the thing is is amanda nunez is i don't see the i still haven't seen anyone that can stand up with you know her muay thai and just the well-balanced nature of her fight so on or her fight game so honestly amanda nunez i think she's going to be the champ for as long as she wants to in terms of the 145 pound division i don't even know if they're even going to keep that division for the women's because there it seemed like for the 145 division was was literally designed for cyborg so once she's been gone 
it just seems like you know when Cyborg's title reign and now Amanda Nunes' title reign, there really isn't a 145 pound division. I don't even think they have rankings. It's literally they just bring in women to fight for the title. So I haven't heard of another 145 pound woman outside of the UFC that about them bringing in. So Amanda Nunes, you're probably just gonna be the queen for as long as you want to. <laughs> so the next fight. It's the third fight, title fight we're going to talk about. The most controversial of the three. It was the 135-pound Bantamweight title match between the defending champion Peter Yan and the challenger Aljamain Sterling. I think they were calling him Piotr, Piotr Yan. I don't know how you can say it in Russian, but it's you know it's P-E-T-R. So just like a white guy saying carne asada. I'm not saying the carne. I think I'm just going to go, it's Peter. P-E-T-R. Peter Yan. So what happened there is in the fourth round, Sterling, I think he shot in for a, a takedown. Yan seemed to have, like, you know, stuffed the takedown, and Sterling's knees were on the ground. And Yan just blasted him in the, in, the, in the head with a knee. That's, like, the best way to describe it. It was extremely dirty. When it happened, you could tell that Aljamain Sterling's bell was completely rung. He was, like, just sprawled out there. Anytime he tried to stand up, he was obviously wobbled. The announcers right away were saying that the fight needed to be stopped because, you know, there was really, at that point, there was nothing that Aljamain Sterling was going to be able to do in a positive way in that fight anymore. Because at that point in the fight, Peter Yan the fight was going completely his way and I was kind of when you were watching it in that fourth round Sterling was starting to look so gassed I was kind of it was almost starting to get hard to imagine how he was going to be able to finish the fight you know he was fighting a very inefficient fighting style he just kept going in for takedowns the whole first second round and parts of the third round he was just going for takedown after takedown and he wasn't getting them and when you just can't get those takedowns and you keep going for them it's just going to sap your gas tank you know and I think that's one of the things when people talk about you know having experience in those five round fights and those championship fights I feel like Sterling was working at a pace at the beginning that is just not conducive for 25 minutes in the cage and you could definitely tell like halfway through the third round that he was just gassed and his you know, Peter Yan was his stand-up did look more crispy and smooth throughout the fight, but definitely as the fight was going on, Sterling was just like was kind of wild, and his punches were kind of loose, and it just seemed like he was falling over a lot. And yeah, you could just definitely tell his stamina was really becoming an issue. So in the fourth round, when that knee happened, and you know Sterling just obviously was just not there, there was just no way I could see Sterling going back in that fight i think i even immediately tweeted i was like you gotta stop this fight because really the only thing you could do out there is you send him out there and now he's gonna get knocked out so you know i don't know if sterling while in that fourth round if he made some sort of prayer to whatever god he has that like hey dude get me out of this fight right now get me to a rematch and just any way and i'll figure this out because at that point there was i don't think Sterling wasn't winning he was down two rounds to one he was losing that fourth round and I just didn't see unless he got some sort of a lucky punch to knock out Jan he I didn't see any way him coming back so I mean if the alternatives you know with that situation was 
continue fighting, show how tough you are, and take even more damage, not get a, a title shot again, and possibly sustain damage for the rest of your career. So it's, if either that's one of the options or just saying I'm not fighting anymore, I'm now going to be the champion and I'll get to live to fight another day against this dude, it was really no there was no option, you know, and I guess I'm bringing that up is because you've had other fighters, you know, Peter Yan kind of dogging Sterling, like after the fight seeing like, Oh, he doesn't look too hurt now. And even TJ Dillashaw who, you know, I'm sort of a TJ Dillashaw fan. He was a Cal state Fullerton Titan, just like me, you know, but he, what he called out Aljamain Sterling is some of, it's some of the best acting in the game. And I don't know. I think that that's just, a way for him to talk some shit and create headlines because you know you watch that knee and how Aljamain Sterling was like wobbling and just couldn't get his legs after it it's like sure it might not have been <clears throat> all the shot from the knee like it might not be all the concuss that you know that was causing him to be loopy but the fact that like he literally had no gas left then now on top of taking that knee to the head there was nothing that Sterling could have done. So I think anyone that's calling Sterling a faker or trying to question his toughness for not continuing fighting, dude, they're, they're, that's just speaking out of ignorance there or just speaking just to talk shit. So this fight is definitely going to have to be run back. I think Elshamin Sterling is definitely going to have to come in with a different game plan if he has any chance of beating Jan. You know, watching that fight, it was obvious Peter Jan was the better fighter. You know, I... I had when I picked this fight, I thought that Aljamain Sterling's reach and wrestling, like in just jujitsu and grappling, everything, I thought that was going to be enough to control the fight and just control, like give him the advantage to, you know, pull out a decision victory. But, you know, you can only, your grappling and jujitsu advantage only works if you can actually get the, the fight down to the mat, which he wasn't able to. And you got to give Peter Yan his credit. You know, on top of just having really crispy, awesome boxing and Muay Thai, he had great takedown defense. And any time the fight did get down to the ground, he knew how to get right back up. I think there was even a point where he took Aljamain Sterling's back, you know, in a scramble. So, you know, Peter Yan, he's a tough dude. He definitely had a lapse in judgment. It was dirty. It was a dirty move. Like, there's no denying it. It's even more dirty than, like, when you look back at when John Jones lost his only fight to Matt Hamill for like the 12 to six elbow drop, you know, cause I'm trying to think, you know, of another example where a guy was, was winning slash dominating a fight and then lost, you know, but I feel like with John Jones, it's like the 12 to six elbow, I think is such a kind of like, it's kind of a weak rule considering that all the other elbow strikes that you can do, I feel like are just as damaging. Like you can't tell me that a 12 to six is so much more dangerous than John Jones. Just like literally like, what he did to Brandon Vera, like look back at like how he broke that dude's eye socket and tell me like, Oh, well, thank God it wasn't 12 to six. Like, so that's why that one was always stupid. But this one was just ridiculous. This was like, like it was almost like pride from pride rules from 20 years ago. So, you know, obviously it had to be a disqualification. I, you know, I've been kind of debating back on fourth if, if it's right to be able to have the title change on the disqualification. Cause on one hand it just feels wrong. You know, Sterling's the champion right now, but I think all of us can agree. We don't really like quite look at him as the champion. And I think that's why Sterling was so emotional after, because even though he had the belt, he knew that 
all of us were just going to be like, hey, you are losing the fight. You're not really the champ. You're still going to have to fight him again. And that's why Sterling left the belt in the ring after and was so emotional. So, you know, I don't think Sterling's out here fronting that he is the Bantamweight champion. But at the same time, I think you create problems if you now have like WWE slash wrestling rules. Because in, you know, professional wrestling, they usually say that a title can't change hands on a disqualification. That's why, like, a lot of times in big wrestling matches, it's like, no disqualification cage match. It's because, like, hey, we don't want this title or this match to end on some bullshit DQ and the champion gets to keep it. So. You know, when I was texting my buddy Jeff after, I was like, dude, that's kind of whack that you can change the title and the DQ. But then I'm like, if you just open up the rule to being like, you can have a disqualification in a title fight, but you don't change the belt, you don't change hands, then you do set up a professional wrestling angle where you could have a champion who literally is just like kicking dudes in the crotch or gouging eyes whenever the fight's not going his way and it's like dq but but goddamn he gets to keep the title again this bastard four pay-per-views in a row so i definitely see why they don't want to you know open it up to where you know title hands can't change on a dq it's only the first time that this has happened in the ufc so i think this is a freak accident and i don't really see this really being an issue in the future Moving moving ahead, like I said, Aljamain Sterling is definitely going to have to figure something out because from when I saw yes or on Saturday that Jan was definitely the better fighter and he looks to be, you know, the best guy at 135. So before I end the show, I just want to highlight a few of the other fights from the night from the night. You know, I'll talk about another 135 pounder real quick that I talked about a lot on the last show, Dominic Cruz. He got his he got his win over Kenny in the main event of the prelims. You know, it was something that I was picking. You know, I was picking Kenny to win. Uh, you know, I figured that the you know the young dude was going to be able to. You know, you know, I felt like the fight game might have passed Dominic Cruz up, and apparently that's not the case. And you know, which isn't a surprise. Dominic Cruz has come back over long layoffs in the past and has has performed well. You know, he even looked well, looked good in the Henry Cejudo fight before he got knocked out. And in this fight as well, he had the great, you know, vintage Dominic Cruz movement. He was able to make him miss a lot and was able to do enough to get a decision victory. Sure, he looked good, but do I think that he could be the 135-pound champion? I don't think so. You know, while he did look good and his movement looked good, he just felt, in a way, like he looked weak. Like, he just didn't look like he was that strong. It felt like every time he got hit, like, I don't know. It just, you know, what? it's it's almost like the eye test where you can just see, like, oh, one fighter's just got some pop. He just looks like he's got some mass to him. There was almost, like, a little bit of, like, watching Dominic Cruz out there, and he seemed like a noodle running around there. Like, he was a good noodle. He had great movement, and he won the fight. But I just, like, was trying to imagine him in the, you know, in the title fight fighting against Peter Yan or or Sterling and you know I think he might have done all right against Sterling but against Yan there's no way I think he would have gotten knocked out I think it would have been similar with the Cejudo fight so you know Dominic Cruz I, I think he's he's definitely still got the skills to be competitive and I'm sure we're probably going to see him fighting again but do I think he's going to win a title again I don't think so and the other fight that I wanted to highlight is the lightweight title fight or not lightweight title that it was the lightweight fight on the 
It was the second fight of the main card. Islam Makashev, he it looks like a stud. You know, Khabib, Habib retired, and I think that the 155-pound division probably felt like that they could breathe a little bit and that there wasn't this crazy Dagestani wrestler that could just dominate everyone from bell to bell. But guess what? There is another one. There's a guy, he's younger, and he looks just as dominant. You know, he's fighting Drew Dober, where, you know, that dude's tough as well. I think he only has one loss in the UFC to Benil Dariush. But Makashev, dude, looked like a stud. He made it look not even competitive. He made it look like he was a couple levels above. And I think with that victory, that dude's going to have to fight someone in the top five. You know, I think I don't think he's quite ready for a title shot yet. You know, 155 is such a stacked division. But for his next fight, I'd love to see him fight Tony Ferguson. You know, Tony Ferguson versus Habib is a fight that I think a lot of diehard MMA fans, we've all been wanting to see. But for some reason or another, it's been cursed and we've just never been able to see it. Hey, Ferguson versus Habib 2.0 would be perfect. I'd love to see, you know, I think it'd be the... I think at this point, the closest we're going to get to Tony Ferguson versus Habib. So, you know, book that one. And Makashev, dude, 155, they've got a guy to be worried about. And I think, you know, there's a bunch of guys in the division that it'd be awesome to see him fight against. But, yeah, that was my coverage of UFC 259. If you want to go look at some of the other fighters or some of the other fights, you know, go check out MMA Junkie or Bleach Report or Ariel Hawani or something because that's all I've got on the subject. Next weekend, there's another UFC because these things just, uh, they UFC is just running a high pace calendar schedule right now. They're just not taking any weekends off, it seems. I think it's next weekend, it's Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad. So I'm sure I'll be talking about that probably at the end of next week or at the end of this week. And, you know, I still got to talk about WandaVision, their their series finale that happened last Friday. This show's already gone on long enough, so we're not going to talk about that today. Probably talk about it tomorrow. So until then, thank you so much for coming and checking out the show. Go like the Facebook page. If you like this, tell a friend. Rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali Green Monster show. Coming from the Tesla Studios in a now more sunny San Diego, California. Have a good one, guys. Peace.